Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. Well, good morning, everybody. We are continuing our series, If Money Could Talk, today, and we are in part three. The past couple Sundays, we have explored if money could talk. First off, it would say this, own me or I will own you. Last week, we talked about how what it would say was, I will always go wherever you send me. And today, I want to talk on if money could talk, it would say this, use me wisely. Turn to somebody and say wisdom. Wisdom. We're going to talk today a little bit about wisdom today. And the thing about wisdom is I think we kind of confuse wisdom with having knowledge, where wisdom is not just you having the knowledge about what to do. It's also you having the power to actually do it. Anybody else here struggle with that? It's not that you don't have the knowledge. It's many times we struggle with the actual application of doing it. Also, too, I have heard wisdom described as, um, as common sense. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if we live in a world where common sense is very common. Anybody else, you know what I'm saying, right? So here's the thing, right? We've got this concept of what wisdom is, and then whenever we, we apply it to finances, I, I think we could ultimately break wisdom in your financial world down into like three things. Number one, live within a budget. And some of y'all are like, that's no fun. I mean, just, right, just have a budget, have like, where's your money gonna go? And just live within it, it's that easy. Come on, dude, just do it. All right, secondly, right, like you, you know you should probably save. You should have some sort of like, you know, fund where if something crazy goes, you, you're, you know, where if your car goes, we just had a car, a $600 car problem the other week. Uh, you know, we, we've had a bunch of just like little things go on, but thankfully we've decided, hey, like we're, we're going to put something aside so everything is not an emergency. But then too, you should pro- pro- probably know, okay, I should probably invest for when I get a little bit older and I don't want to work no no more. It's kind of like you want to invest too, but, but then also to giving, right? It's like we instinctively know that we should probably be taking a part of what God gives us and really intentionally sending it somewhere so it's not all about us. And really when you take the whole Bible and you kind of just like sum it up into kind of like if it was going to give you financial wisdom, it would probably tell you live within a budget, save and invest, be, be wise, and then Give. It's, it's just that simple, y'all. Just do it. Everyone bow your head and close your eyes. We're, gonna, we're, we're done today. No. <laughs> but, we, but we instinctively know there is a disconnect between what we know we should do and us having the power to actually do it. Wisdom is having not just knowing what to do, but actually doing it. And what I've seen is whenever we struggle with knowing what we should do and not having the power to actually do it, I think it really sums up a lot of what struggles are, which honestly, what I've seen struggles can be one of two ways. They can, somebody can have a good heart with bad habits or a bad heart with, no, 
Hold on, okay, see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm tired, okay. A good heart with bad habits or bad habits with a good heart? No. See, y'all, I need prayer today. Saints, can y'all start praying for your boy? Okay, a good heart with bad habits or good habits with a bad heart? So here's the thing, right? A lot of us have, I know I should, so you have good intentions. But your disciplines don't line up with your intentions. Some people do the right things. They've got all the disciplines down, but their reason for doing it is all messed up. So people, they've, they've got good disciplines. They have good things in place. They, they live within their budget. They save. They give. But their reason is because they're trying to build their own kingdom. Some people, they have the desire to live within their budget, save, and give, but the problem is they don't have the right disciplines in place to actually see their intentions carried out. And I think if you were to describe you, you probably fit within one of those two. But, but here's the thing, right? When you actually break it down, it's actually either heart or habits is where the struggle goes of when we're trying to live wisely and when we're trying to actually use money wisely. And here's the thing, right? If you want better habits, this is not the message for you because there's a lot more qualified people out there, someone like Dave Ramsey, that could tell you how to make, how to use your money better. Go to him, okay? Go to Dave Ramsey or go to, you know, we have got people with, within our church. If you're having trouble with living wisely, living within your budget, you know, someone like Dave Ramsey helps you practically where if, if you're trying to say, oh, okay, what do I need to actually live on, invest, save, what should I give, and those sorts of, of different things. Practically speaking, there are a lot more qualified people out there. Like, I, I, I'm not going to tell you today what to invest in. I'm not going to tell you today how to live within your budget. But what I do want to actually attack today, and attack's a strong word. I don't know why I said attack. Dive in on today and focus on today isn't the habits. I want to focus on the heart that contributes to what kind of habits you have that ultimately direct us towards living unwisely with the finances and money that God gives us. Jesus speaks a lot about the heart, man. I mean, when, when you explore the teachings of Jesus, you'll actually see, I don't think Jesus came just to be the moral police. He just didn't come to just look at everyone and just tell them everything they're doing wrong. He came and actually said, hey, I came to get to the root of why you do these wrong things. And what he actually dove in on was he dove in on and he spoke a lot about the heart. In particular, Mark chapter 7, there was this one scenario where you've got Jesus and Jesus' disciples eating. And they're, they're just eating. I mean, they're not doing anything crazy. They're just eating. But then the Pharisees and the religious leaders show up. And they start watching Jesus and watching his disciples eat, and they start saying things like, oh, do they realize what they're, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And really, the Pharisees were kind of like going in on them for, for breaking what Jesus would later describe as being a man-made law. That here's the thing, the Pharisees had a great desire to really, to obey God's law, but then to to ensure they obey God's law, they put in what was called fences to the actual law. So, so, you know, let me give you some examples now, right? You have some Christians that say, like, you know, you should not be impure, right? 
So then you've got Christians in the past that says, well, don't watch TV. <laughs> Smut. S-M-U-T. You shouldn't play cards either. Yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, you, movie theaters? It's so funny, right? Because honestly, 60s and 70s, 80s, like they were Christian. You shouldn't even go into movie theaters. And now we're having church in them. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. <laughs> but it was basically saying, don't be impure. So to not be impure, just don't do this and this and this and this. And that will keep you from being impure. And the thing is, the Pharisees thought this is what would actually keep them, keep their hearts pure. But Jesus came in. And he spoke to and exposed to, or he spoke to and exposed their hearts whenever he said something like this. He said, these people, and so here's the thing, he's speaking to these Pharisees, and he's saying, these people, these people, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Basically, he's saying, you do stuff out here, your habits are good, but your heart is nowhere near me because the reason you do these good habits is because you think it puts you in better standing with God. And what he was saying was, you can clean the outside and your inside still be full of deceit, wickedness, and selfishness. But then Jesus presses in harder. He says this a few verses down. He says, for from within, everyone say within, out of a person's heart come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. And just think about what we're actually trying to treat as the world and so many times as the church, we're trying to treat symptoms instead of the heart. When Jesus here says all of those things that you're trying to change, sexual immorality, your greed, wicked, I mean, all of that list he, he goes through, he says it actually has a root, and that root is your heart. And really, whenever we say heart, it's the seed of who you are. And I mean, we use this terminology all the time, like, how's your heart? What does your heart say? Basically saying it's the centerpiece, the core of who you are. So Jesus says we don't, and we, like, the habit problem stems from the heart problem. But this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news, friends. And why Jesus' greatest purpose meets your greatest need. Because this is what the good news is. And you can actually even see the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament when prophesying about Jesus, the coming Savior, actually said this about him. That one of the things he would do, check this out, Ezekiel 36. He said this, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Paul, you know, you know Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead, and Paul was one of those whose lives was radically changed, and then Paul wrote in a letter to the church in Corinth, in the second letter he wrote there, he said this about someone that follows Jesus. He said, now, anyone that is in Christ, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We have a complete identity crisis in the church. Do you realize when you said yes to Jesus, who you have become? I'm not talking about what you feel you have become. But like who scripture and who God actually says you have become. Is that when you say yes to anyone that's in Christ, you become a new creation. Your identity is changed from a sinner to a saint. Guilty to guiltless. Because of what Jesus did. You are new. And what, and what that does, whenever you become new, it produces, it should produce inside of you new desires. And that is why when some of you started to follow Jesus, you started feeling bad about things you never felt bad about. You started to be like, should I be watching that? Should I be listening to that? Should I be dating her? Should I be dating him? Why? Because something new happened in you. Something new was done. And so here's the thing, right? As new creations in Christ, you've got a new lens, a new way of seeing everything. And this should also include money and how you even see wisdom. So here's the thing. Today, I want to give you three, three thoughts that as new creations in Christ, that if you have said yes to following Jesus, how you should actually see wisdom and actually apply that wisdom to your finances. We're going to see if money could talk. It would say, use me wisely. But this wisdom is not just practical wisdom. I want to dive into the heart behind wisdom that I believe if we get there, it will affect what you do out here. Everyone cool? All right. The first thought's this. Wisdom begins with God. Wisdom begins with God. Proverbs 9, verse number 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the foundation. Everyone say foundation. Foundation of wisdom. Here's the thing. God is not opposed to wisdom. There's a whole book in the Bible called Proverbs. The whole point of the book of Proverbs is to live wisely. The word wisdom in Scripture is used over 250 times. God is not opposed to saying, let's see what has worked. And if that has worked, putting that into practice. But what the scripture says is that the foundation for what wisdom is has got to be built on God and his word first. And that's what I'm saying. That, 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 is, that, that is what I think we skip out on is that here's the, here's the thing. What I've come to observe and believe, I just don't want to hear what somebody believes. I want to hear how they get there. How do you get to what you believe? Because it's really interesting whenever you get past what just somebody believes, and then you say, tell me the route, the journey, the process you get to actually what you believe, you'll actually start to see a lot of implicitness. I don't know how else to say it. And, and what you see is that when it comes to a lot of things Christian, this happens, where when Christians say they believe something about money, when Christians say they believe something about sex, when Christians say they, they believe something about a controversial topic, about something, I want to hear how do they get there. And what I, what I want to see is what sources do they cite first? 
Why? Because ultimately what you'll see is so, is so many times a lot of what people believe has this kind of trinity wrap, wrapped up. What you feel and what you want to be true, what the culture has conditioned you to think, and then if you are a Christ follower, what the Bible says. And what I'm concerned about is, not just with money, but in general, is that when you see what people believe, ultimately I see the culture and what people want to be more of the deciding factors than what scripture says. And they actually let, their, they actually let the culture and what they want interpret what the Bible says instead of saying, what does the Bible say and does culture or does myself need to come into alignment with what God's word says? And, and then that, that, is, that is where I think when we talk about money or when we talk about anything, the foundation of wisdom is a fear of the Lord. Basically saying the first thing we go to, we look to, we consult, we say, what does it say? It cannot be what we want to be true. Because then we go to God's word and we'll be like, well, I want this to be true. And y'all, this is why there's been so much sin in the church. There's been so much abuse in the church. It's because people take what they want and they, I mean, it's insane to think how people confirm slavery in scripture. Well, the Bible says it. I mean, they, they took the Bible to enslave people. Like I, I even went to, you know, uh, a couple years back, the Bible Museum, and I saw they had what was called the Slave Bible, where you had this particular group of people that wanted a group of slaves to be Christians, but they didn't want them to know that they weren't supposed to be enslaved. So they actually went in the Bible and took out every piece of anything that talked about freedom. They took what they wanted and imposed it on the Bible and created a, their own Bible. But let's not judge them because we do it too. And we can so easily do this. And we can actually miss the foundation of wisdom has got to start first with God. And as followers of Jesus, we must submit to Jesus' word. Do you know Jesus submitted to scripture? Like Jesus, some of the most controversial things that we look at in the Bible, Adam Adam, Eve, right? Oh, that, that, that's just some made-up story. You know Jesus referenced it? Jump, man, no one could ever be alive in a whale. You know Jesus mentions the story of Jonah? Leviticus, that's an old book. You know he quoted that book more than any other Old Testament book? A lot of the stuff we're throwing out, the gospel writers who follow Jesus and, and were eyewitness accounts of Jesus actually affirmed that these are some of the things that Jesus mentioned and said. What am I trying to say, y'all? I'm just saying, as a Christ follower, your wisdom should be built on what God's word says first. And you check your wants, you check what the culture's conditioned you, you check those at the door of scripture. But it's hard work. It's hard work. So here's the thing, whenever we're thinking about wisdom and whenever we're thinking about finances, we have to make sure we know that wisdom begins, the foundation of it is built on fearing the Lord and him first. Now, here's the thing, though. How many of you have found out wisdom in the kingdom of God will undoubtedly look different than the wisdom of the world? 
And some of you have felt this. Like you have felt, you've got people saying to you like, bruh, are you serious? Like, are you crazy? Like, if God is so powerful, why doesn't he just? Or man, like you believe in a Jewish rabbi teacher guy that came 2,000 years ago? And you're going to live your life according to that? Some of you have felt this. But here's the thing. Last week, we also talked about Stanley, right? Andy Stanley gave, gave this whole um, comparison between me first living with leftover giving. You remember that? And seek ye first life. And really what he talked about here, he said, that, right, look, this is what me first living with leftover giving looks like. And he's talking about finances. Basically saying, this is what the world calls wisdom and practice, right? You got live, you spend on you. If you got some left, you save. If, if something like emotionally inspires you to give, you drop a 20 occasionally just to make your conscience feel better, right? And what he said was, welcome to normal. Welcome to what the culture has conditioned you to do, right? But then he says, when he talks about how Jesus said, seek ye first, he said, okay, let's, let's talk about seek ye first, which means we enter into the kingdom of God, which puts others first. He's, he says, so what does wisdom look like in the kingdom of God when it comes to that per, per, particular order? He challenged us to flip the script. He said, it should actually be give, save, live. Now, I don't know about you. If you told your friends you were doing this, how many do you think your friends would think you're smoking something? Why? Because it would look so radically different. But actually, Jesus said, this is what wisdom looks like in the kingdom of God. Wisdom in the culture and wisdom in the kingdom will look and can look completely different. But that is what ultimately, even when you, when you study the, the brand new church, like when Jesus rose and the church began, there was something strikingly different about the church. Tim Keller points this out. He said this, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. There was something different, radically different about how Christians lived and it was shown in, with their sexuality, and it was so, shown with their money. And, and really, like, you've, what, 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 I, what I've learned is if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be okay with being considered foolish and crazy. And ultimately, that's what persecution, I think, in our context looks like. Our persecution in this day is not us being killed, right? Persecution in our day looks like us being pushed out of the in crowd. Well, you're a Christian. You're, you're, you're just a bigot. You're a, you're a Christian. You're one of those crazies. You're, you're a, and it's like we get associated with as, as literally being, you are archaic. Your beliefs are very archaic. Just get in the background, have your church services, do some good in the community, and just be quiet. And really, that is what the persecution looks, looks like. But ultimately, we have to realize, if we're going to follow Christ, it, we, we should actually almost expect some of that. And one of the reasons why I think we have such weak faith is because we don't actually accept, receive, and experience re rejection. Because we've almost been so coddled for so long 
where it's like whenever we face any amount of rejection, we're like, man, they just don't like me. When it's, when it's like, it's actually pretty normal for the worldwide church to experience persecution that could ultimately lead to their death. But I get it. And, and, and really, the point is here is, is just saying, like, don't be shocked when people dismiss you. Don't be shocked if people think you're absolutely foolish. Don't be shocked when people think you are not living wisely because your wisdom in the kingdom of God looks differently than the wisdom in the culture. Even Paul said this, right, in, in 1 Corinthians 1, when he was speaking to a very wise city. When you think of cities that had philosophers and debaters and scholars, the city of Corinth was kind of the centerpiece of that in Paul's day. And when Paul was actually writing to the church in Corinth, he wanted to remind them about something. This is what he, he said. He said, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Essentially, those who don't know Jesus, the cross is like stupid. And, and he's like, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, and he's quoting here in Old Testament scripture, he said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Then he says this, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. And then he goes into two different groups of people here. He says this, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He says, you got some people, Jews, you know, he's saying Jews, but Jews could also be a certain kind of person. They're, they're like, if God came down and showed himself to me right now, I'd follow him. And then you got Greeks that are like, this is a bunch of nonsense. But these are two different kinds of groups of people that really describe now. You got some people that are like, well, if God was so powerful, why didn't he just? You got some, some people that just, you know, cerebrally they struggle with okay this happened then how do you you know but really what what this is saying is that the ultimate wisdom of God is 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 the fact that God in his plan did not follow the world the world's wisdom he said I'm going to give something that will offend and make some stumble why because they want to be right they want their way to be the best way but when, but, but when, here's the thing, when, whenever someone that says, I need a sign, and you tell them there was a sign 2,000 years back, I need to see it to believe it. Then you got some that are like, well, I just don't get it how it, it could just happen and all of this stuff, and like, it's, it's, it's just a bunch of hogwash. But ultimately, there's always a question behind the, there, there, there is always a heart behind the questioner. And what I have learned is when people are typically pushing back on, on you, there is some human experience in there that is influencing the kind of questions they have. And so sometimes you have to dig deep and really get down to what those questions are of why are they trying to push back here. And people genuinely have some experiences that they've had. That can be like, How could a loving God do this? We get it. You have some people that are cerebrally minded and they're just like, how could... 2,000 years ago, how do we get the Bible? The, you know, the Bible is it's probably, you know, it's probably been doctored and, you know, here's the thing. The, Jesus, he, the Bible, Scott, we're, they're not afraid of those questions. 
We actually say bring them because it's actually Jesus will meet you in your questions. He will meet you there. He is not scared. And he's thinking, I love how he called Christ the wisdom of God. Where even Jesus, basically saying his two arms being held out and dying for skeptics and dying for those wanting a sign. He says, I, I am here. And he's thinking, Jesus, even, but, but he's thinking, God's wisdom was different than the wisdom of the world. And these are things that as a follower of Christ, if you're going to not just live wisely, but live, but live wisely with your money, you have to be content that what looks wise in the culture will not look wise in the kingdom. So here's the thing, right? Wisdom begins with the foundation of the fear of the Lord. Kingdom wisdom and culture wisdom look completely different. And really here is kind of the, the final point today that I want to just like narrow in on. And it really is this point of saying if you to practically live from the heart and to see habits happen, true wisdom in the kingdom of God is seeing yourself as being a steward. I know there's not a lot of excitement over that word. There wasn't a lot of like, you know, amens. Because ultimately steward means that you don't own anything. You have been given everything. Owner Excuse me, whenever you start to follow Jesus, you go from being someone that owns to now being someone that says, I am a steward. And here's the thing, a steward simply does what? It manages. It manages what has been entrusted to them for the benefit of the one that entrusted it to them. So now, because here's the deal, like don't you handle someone else's stuff better? I mean, it's crazy. If you get someone else's car, like you are driving better, you won't drink coffee in it. You won't like do what I do, like you try to eat a cheeseburger while you're trying to drive. It's like you are being so much more cautious because you know it's not yours and you know you one day you're gonna be, or you're gonna drop that car off and give it back to the who? Owner. So you handle it differently. And I'm just thinking if, if we could have a switch in wisdom and a switch in, uh, in what our mentality is with the stuff particularly the money we have, would we handle it differently if we understood that we are not owners, we're simply stewards? And Jesus, he told this, this parable, and we're gonna close, close here, Matthew 25. Everyone stick with me. Matthew 25, verses 14, it starts here. This is Jesus talking. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted, everyone say, and trusted, and trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to someone else, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who reached the five or who received the five bags of silver began to invest. Everyone say invest. Invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from the trip and called them to give an account. Everyone say account. Account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good, and everyone say faithful. Faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. You see where this story is going. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. 
Master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you money. I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money out from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Do you see the point here? Do you hear and see what Jesus is saying? And he's like, saying, there are some really important words here that I think we need to hear, see, and really point out in this story. Put those up there for me. And trusted. This is a story about stewardship, where Jesus was saying it was entrusted, essentially saying it was not theirs, it was the person giving it to them. They were entrusted and they were called to do what? Invest. And knowing when they invest, one day they're going to give an account, and the goal is to be faithful. So whenever we take this story and we apply it to our personal finances, what if you viewed it a completely different way, a kingdom way, and you said, what I have is not mine. It's his. Instead of viewing what I do as spending, you need to view it as I've been entrusted with this to do what? Invest. Why? Because one day I'm going to stand before God and give what? An account. And the goal of standing before God and giving the account is I will be looked at and seen as what? Faithful. Good and faithful servant. You can come up, Jarvis. We're going to close. When we actually look at what wisdom is, wisdom is found when you change the mindset on what is yours, where you see ultimately it is not mine, it is God's. And when you think about what God has entrusted to you, what has he ultimately called you to invest in? What's up, Jarvis? Really, man, you ain't even in the service, bro. Come on, man. His baby girl. Oh, you blame it on your kid. Okay, it's Father's Day. I'm going to have some grace, okay? It's Father's Day. You want to spend some time with your kid? I'll call that. That's fine. It's all right. But ultimately, let me... Let me ask, ask you this, like, what are you investing in that has eternal value associated to it? Like, that the will actually last beyond you. And, and, and that is, is why whenever we talk about wisdom and we talk about investing, the point here he's saying is, is that it, it goes beyond just what benefits you and it benefits someone else and ultimately benefits the kingdom of God. Last, last, you know, last week we gave this challenge. Andy Stanley gave this challenge of basically saying, take a percentage of whatever you bring in and you pick it and you pick the, the specific organization, something that's close to your heart or life house, what, whatever. Take a percentage and give it away first. And he said, do that for two months and then examine the internal dialogue you have when you do that. Right? And really what Andy Stanley was trying to actually do, he was trying to help you to try something you already instinctively know you should be doing. Giving. 
right? But what he was ultimately trying to instill in us last week was saying, invest some of what you have into something that will outlast and outlive you. Something that means something to you. Why? Because he wasn't just trying to get your money last week. He was trying to help you to start a habit that will affect your heart, that will then affect your relationship with the Lord. Because as Andy Stanley said last week, if Jesus doesn't have your money, he doesn't have you. Invest. Third, third, thirdly, account. This is something we don't like to really talk about very often because no one really likes to talk about the fact that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account. But, but ultimately, Scripture, if we believe Scripture is true, it does say that one day we're going to stand before God. And here's the thing. Right? That's why the fear of, fear of the Lord is so important. Fear of the Lord is not a harsh fear. It is a reverence. It is a taking into consideration that there is somebody above you, that there's somebody stronger than you. There's somebody more powerful than you that there is somebody beyond your capabilities. Then he says, as you have that fear, you should live your life with a healthy fear of the fact that one day you're gonna stand before God and give an account. And what should that do? It should motivate us and inspire to use what we have for somebody beyond us and then faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, some of the most difficult times in my life or when I had to make the decision to be faithful. I remember working three jobs, right? Three jobs and doing full-time college. And Kristen and I had to decide, are we going to be faithful to be generous? We didn't wanna be, right? But here's the thing. The goal isn't to be perfect. The goal is to be faithful. And I think if you develop that mindset instead of a I've got to be perfect mindset, and realize there's gonna be good and bad, ugly and beautiful, and realize the goal is to get to the very end of the race and to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant, you actually learn to accept the good and the bad. And just, and, and just realize, I'm gonna have bad days, it, it's okay. I, I'm gonna have good days and praise God. But ultimately the goal is to be faithful. If money could talk, can we stand up? If money could talk, it would say, use me wisely. Wisdom is your heart and your habits, but your heart, your heart affects your habits. And as your heart understands what true wisdom is, it's to fear the Lord. Wisdom in the kingdom will look different than wisdom in the culture. And wisdom is ultimately stewards, stewards, Stewardship. I believe as these truths dig deep into your heart, that as it transforms your heart, it'll transform your habits to practically show who's your Lord. Because here's the thing, your habits always reveal your heart. So that is why when Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is, what he was saying was, is you want to show me where your heart is, show me your bank statement. And where that trail leads will ultimately show where your heart is. Use me wisely. Let's pray. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or say yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at lifehousenn.com or text 757-690-2401. 
We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at lifehouseonline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit lifehouseinn.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.